a life well lived and a perfect death. That's my overall reflection, I think, on what we've been doing over the last few days. So much has happened over those 10 days that somehow it's hard to recall just how quickly it all happened. On Tuesday of last week, um, our, our Queen was uh, celebrating a new government, asking Elizabeth Truss to, to, form, to form it for her. On Wednesday, she felt tired and didn't have a, a Privy Council meeting. And on Thursday, she died, suddenly and peacefully, without apparently enduring pain or suffering or all those indignities that we associate with old age these days. Yes, she needed a stick, and she probably had some of those pains of old age. Don't we all have those pains? But when it came to it, she didn't have to spend days and days in intensive care with all those tubes pointing out at her and the world's press hammering on our doors wanting to know what was going on. That much we have all been spared. It's the death, perhaps, that we might all wish for here today, gone tomorrow into the presence of the Lord. And I find it very difficult difficult to resist the idea that Elizabeth, having achieved everything she, she wanted to achieve, having lived up to that promise she made us uh, when she was 21, having done all that, then decided to lay her life down. She was ready to lay it down, and that's what she did. When, when the rest of us have that feeling, of course, we're allowed to retire. We're allowed to slow up. We're given a bit of income to uh, help ourselves enjoy that period. But for a constitutional monarch, and especially one who had given us a promise, all of us a promise, uh, when she was 21, just before she was married, if you're that person who's given that promise, that was not an option for her. So now perhaps we can say that Elizabeth and Philip are together somewhere, up there in heaven, enjoying this retirement that they could never possibly have had on earth together. This reading we've had this evening is about two other people who felt their lives had been completed. If you want to see uh, this, uh, this story in visual form, then please go into the Lady Chapel behind me, look uh, towards the, other, the, the east end of the church. There are two stained glass windows behind the altar table, and on the left one you will find this story in stained glass. Perhaps if there's anywhere in this church you can go to remember the life of, uh, of our Queen, it will be there, because there you will find Simeon and Anna. Those uh, windows, incidentally, were donated by the Girls' Friendly Society in 1930-ish. The Girls' Friendly Society, finding a slightly anachronistic name, perhaps, these days. But uh, in the days when there was domestic service, and it was formed in 1875, the Girls' Friendly Society, um, there were a very number, a very large number of young girls, very young girls, some of them, all of whom were away from home and needed support. It was a very worthwhile operation. It's perhaps a 
not quite so, so, so much in force as it used to be, but it does still exist. So there you'll find Simeon, this elderly man who we knew very, very little about. He was pious and devout, and he sang a song about his experience. The, uh, the song, of course, is the Nunc Dimittis, known in Anglican liturgy as it's known. It's been part of Anglican liturgy for as long as there has been Anglican liturgy. And it, it's, it's, a, it's, uh, it's called that because the Latin translation of this little song in, in, in verses uh, 29 to 32 uh, begins with Nunc Dimittis. And it means approximately, now send me on my way. Now I'm ready to go. Because he'd been waiting for what he called the consolation of Israel. The time that would come to Israel when they would meet their God. When uh, God will fight for them, God will intervene. God will be there, God will send a messenger to lead them. Um, there are many prophecies like that in the Old Testament. One of them... You can find the beginning of the 40th chapter of the prophet Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and pro proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that he has received, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. One of the promises that he was waiting to be fulfilled and he was presented with this little lad aged eight days that's the exact age he was the age he was required to go to the temple and have all these uh, duties fulfilled and the Holy Spirit was, must have been on him how, could, how otherwise could he have known that this uh, small child in his mother's arms was going to be the way by which the consolation of, of Israel was to be achieved he, he, didn't, he didn't know there was no reason to know that a small child with no connections, not a king, no family connections, no wealth in the family, no nothing. Yet, here was the child who was going to save Israel. The child who was going to come into the world and bring, bring redemption and salvation with him. And then there was Anna, the prophetess. Very old, we are told, Anna was. Uh, 84 perhaps, before 84, after 84, difficult to tell from the text. She didn't sing a song. She might well have sung the same song as Simeon sang, but she looked at this child and found the one she was looking for, the one to redeem Israel. Years and years she'd been there in the temple, probably living in the temple, fasting and praying for the one who would redeem Israel. And then even, and then very unlikely in this eight-day-old eight lad, she found the one to redeem Israel, and she rejoiced. Neither of these are people important, just two of the cast of thousands you find in the Bible, people who come and go in the Bible narrative, people who are there for a reason, a re one reason, one small cog in the whole plan of God for salvation and here they are Anna and uh, um, and Simeon and we might perhaps add that to that Moses Moses was a man who uh, 
had a, a very interesting life, led God's people through the desert for 40 years towards the promised land. And when he got to the land of Moab, with a very good view of the promised land, God told him this. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peel, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Three people there whose life was complete and they were ready to go and they were ready to die. And perhaps I can add our own Jill Ball. Uh, we knew Jill well. She had been a member of this church for many years. She was in Ecuador, a place she absolutely adored and where she, where she had founded a charity to do um, uh, uh, a lot of good work amongst the, the women and girls of Santo Domingo. Uh, a charity which she believed in absolutely, found, uh, founded it, cr uh, created the, uh, the income whereby it could survive. And out there in the midst of the place she loved and adored and the people she knew, she died. She had achieved, I think, what she wanted to achieve. None of these people had a sense of a life cut short. They were all men, women, whom God had sent to do something. They'd achieved it. And then, when that was over, that was the end. They wanted to be back with their Lord again. I see that in, in, in uh, Queen Elizabeth's death. It was so sudden, it was so swift, and it came at such a, um, a time of change that um, I really think she's, she had come to the conclusion that that's what she wanted to do. And there was a rainbow, wasn't there? Do you remember the rainbow? I haven't mentioned this here from last week. There was a rainbow. There was a rainbow over Windsor Castle on Thursday evening. The BBC photographed it. We know it was there. They also said there was one over Buckingham Palace as well. A rainbow. The people of Windsor looked on this rainbow and wondered what it meant. I wonder. Perhaps it was a comment somehow on the last 70 years, the last 96 years of a life that had been well lived. Well, I've, I have an alternative to that. The rainbow, if you read Genesis chapter 9, the rainbow was the sign that God said, sent to earth after the flood. The rainbow is the sign that God will not destroy. It's a sign, in other words, for the future, not the past. It's a prophecy, not a, not a piece of history. It's a sign for the reign of Charles III, it seems to me, rather than the reign of Elizabeth II. God will not destroy. Whatever we may do, whatever the world may get up to, God does not destroy. He's made that promise. It's not because God does not care about this world. 
that he does not destroy. He, de he cares deeply about it. He could, not just that he's not bothered about whether he destroys us or not. He cares deeply about it. And he has provided, of course, the alternative to that destruction by sending his son to pay the penalty that we all deserve. We remain alive because he was sacrificed. We have life. We taste life because he tasted death. Queen Elizabeth II knew the truth of that. She knew the truth of Jesus in her heart. She knew it in her heart as well as on her tongue. And she had a, a unique option to address something that we don't get, something the church really never ever gets at all, once a year, to tell the rest of the world about her faith, about who was central in her life. This idea that God will not destroy was central to her life. God will not destroy her, God will not destroy us. We, we make our peace with God, we give our lives to Christ. God does not destroy us. And here are the words that Jesus used when he explained all this. You'll probably hear these words tomorrow. They usually occur in a funeral service. There he was in the upper room just before, the day before, when he was taken to a cross and nailed to it. So many things to explain, so many things to get into the minds of these disciples that they didn't understand. And after all this teaching, they still did not understand them. What can I do? What can I say to them? Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to where you're going? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the truth that uh, our Queen has known. That's the truth that faithful people down the years have known. God will not destroy. And he sent his Son into the world to prove that and take the destruction for us. Well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord.